Welcome to CBJ in 30, the official podcast of the Columbus Blue Jackets. CBJ in 30 is being brought to you by Mike's Hard Freeze. Here's Bob McElligot. That's right. I'm back here on CBJ in 30, getting you ready just in the nick of time for the NHL draft, which will take place in less than a week at the Bell Center in Montreal, Quebec. Happy Canada Day to those of you north of the border. Happy 4th of July weekend for those of you here in the U.S. It's going to be a big four-day weekend. There's no doubt about that. And as I said, the momentum out of the weekend leading right into the draft. As a matter of fact, I'm leaving on Tuesday, July the 5th, to head to Montreal, and we will have extensive coverage of the draft from the Blue Jackets standpoint, which is going to be big because as we speak right now, the Blue Jackets have two picks in the first round, number six overall and number 12 overall. Will they still have those picks by the time the first round gets underway next Thursday? Who knows? A lot of speculation, a lot of question, a lot of wondering what's going to happen all around the league. But let's start this by congratulating the Colorado Avalanche on winning the Stanley Cup. You know, I had said I had stuck to my guns with uh, my pick of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I had said all along they have the best goaltender in the league. You can argue they have the best goaltender in the world, but the Colorado Avalanche was able to beat that goaltender four times in six games and win the Stanley Cup. And I couldn't be happier for a lot of friends that I have in the Colorado organization. Um, it starts with Assistant General Manager Chris McFarland, who I have known throughout my entire time uh, with the Blue Jackets, and that includes when I first came to Syracuse back in uh, when the Blue Jackets first came into being back in 2000. I mean, Chris McFarland was uh, always in Syracuse. He was very instrumental in the personnel that was on that team. Uh, he worked with Jim Clark, who was the original assistant general manager here to Doug McLean, and then Chris eventually took over that uh, running of the minor league team. Uh, I've watched this guy just pay his dues, do his work, be extremely good at what he does. And I've watched him grow and mature. And one thing that has never changed about Chris McFarland is you won't meet a better person. You really won't. And I'm so happy for him. I, it, it was just surreal to see him on TV standing on the ice waiting for his opportunity to lift the Stanley Cup. So I'm very happy for him. I'm also very happy for the former Blue Jackets on that team, Jack Johnson and Ryan Murray. I mean, each of them has gone through their own struggles in different ways. Ryan Murray, of course, has been hurt uh, throughout the last number, almost his entire NHL career. I think that first year, I think he played every game that first year that he was with the Blue Jackets. And after that, it's been injury after injury after injury. And even this year, he suffered an injury late in the season that kept him from being able to play in the playoffs. But you know, Ryan Murray, he's still a class act. He's a good guy. And you're always rooting for good guys. And Jack Johnson, I mean, everything that he's gone through in his life off the ice and, you know, the, the story is just, it's, it's a sad story with a happy ending is what it is. Uh, to watch him skate around with the Stanley Cup above his head and watch him in interviews, um, I'm really happy for him. Really, really happy for him. So those guys, uh, I couldn't... I couldn't be more thrilled for what they were able to go through in Colorado and win the Stanley Cup this year. So congratulations to them. And as I said, it's about to get busy here. It's going to get very busy 
It all started yesterday. As a matter of fact, the Blue Jackets made a trade. They took one of their fourth-round picks, uh, the one they acquired from Toronto in the Nick Felino trade a couple of years ago. They took that pick yesterday, and they flipped it to the Nashville Predators. They get Matthew Olivier, who is a guy that has a lot of penalty minutes on his resume. Doesn't have a lot of NHL games on his resume, I'll tell you that, but he's got a lot of penalty minutes on his resume. And we'll talk about that as I start to go through your questions here. This is a, um, what would I say, a special Friday edition of the Monday Mailbag. I mean, Monday is the 4th of July. It wasn't going to make any sense, was it, to do the mailbag on that day? I mean, a lot of the information could get lost. Now you have the opportunity to go through today and process it throughout the weekend. So I figured it would be a better way of doing things. Also, uh, some breaking news as I sit down to do this with you. Bob Buchner a former Blue Jackets assistant coach, has been let go by the San Jose Sharks. A very interesting move because we're late in the game here when it comes to coaches. I mean, most teams have filled their coaching vacancies now, right? I mean, there were a lot of them, and and those uh, positions are being filled. John Tortorella's in Philly. Uh, Peter DeBoer has gone to Dallas. Derek Lalonde was named the other day, um, leaving the – Tampa Bay Lightning as an assistant coach. He'll be the head coach in Detroit. Uh, some strong rumors that Jim Montgomery, a former coach of the Dallas Stars, might be the guy going into Boston. Of course, um, you know, Bruce Cassidy left Boston, and he went to the Vegas Golden Knights. Winnipeg is still looking for a coach right now. Pascal Vincent's name is being thrown around there. A current Blue Jackets assistant coach, Scott Arneal, the former Blue Jackets head coach, uh, his name is in that mix as well after Barry Trotz has decided not to coach this year in the NHL. It, obviously, uh, being a Manitoba native, the Winnipeg Jets were really hoping they could land Barry Trotz, but he's not going to coach this year. So uh, they haven't made a final decision yet, but they're working in that direction. But now San Jose has an opening. Now, the Sharks have been in a search mode for a general manager. I don't know if this move on the coaching front means that they're closer to that. I would guess, I would think, and I would really think you'd like to have a general manager in place by the time you get to Montreal next week, just for, you know, not that you have to. I mean, the, the lists have already been put together. Uh, the scouts have done their work, and they are going to go off their lists, and they're going to draft their picks and all that stuff. But, you know, from the, um, the image standpoint, you'd like to have that person in charge. And maybe they have that guy in mind, and maybe that guy already has his coach in mind, and that's why the Sharks made the move they did with uh, Bob Bugner. So, anyway, that's a little breaking news as we get ready to start the weekend. But right now, it's time for me to start answering your questions, and that's what I'm going to do, starting with Heather Miller. And Heather says, I've heard many say that the next few drafts will have more prospects and time to rebound post-pandemic. Do you think it would be interesting to the Blue Jackets to use pick number six for defensemen and then trade pick number 12 for future picks. You could do that, Heather. You could do so many things. And again, these drafts, the way they get ranked. I remember a couple of years ago, people were saying that this was going to be a good draft. Now they're saying, yeah, it's a mediocre draft, but next year is going to be the big one. So does this one, I guess, Part of the reason they're saying that, if you look at the top of the draft and what's being talked about with Shane Wright, that might be why some people are thinking that this is a yeah kind of draft because Shane Wright was that guy all the way through, uh, or most of the way through, I shouldn't even say all the way through, that he was projected to be the first overall pick. Now, maybe he won't be the first overall pick. 
Uh, Yuri Slavkovsky has gained a lot of ground. There are a lot of teams that uh, apparently like his size and his skill. He's a winger. He's not a centerman. Is Shane Wright still going to be going first overall? The Montreal Canadiens have that first overall pick. They're going to be doing it in their own building in front of their own fans. Are they going to take him? Are they going to do something different? Are they going to take Slavkovsky? Are they going to move out a winger? There's been a lot of rumors about that as well. So it's the Blue Jackets could do that, but I, I tend to think that if they're going to keep those two picks, I think they'll make both of them. I don't think that they're going to... I don't think they're going to trade it for next year. Um, again, I could be wrong because there are so many things that get in flux when you get to Montreal and and you start going through the draft. But um, but I think, personally, I think if they have those two picks, I think they're going to use those two picks. I really do. So we'll see what happens when they get there. Uh, and Kilch says this. Uh, I just wanted to ask your take on this. If you think it's needed for the Blue Jackets to trade up with the New Jersey Devils. Of course, the Devils have the second pick overall, by the way. Uh, The only thing with the retool that I get worried about is kind of topping out at 90-ish points like we were under John Tortorella. Never quite good enough to win the Metropolitan Division. In my opinion, I think we need a Shane Wright, Logan Cooley type of talent to go along with what we have in order to get to the next level and avoid being that 7-8 and eight seed bubble team. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Well, that's that's a fair point. It's a fair point, although, you know, <laughs> I think about this. Talking about being a 90-ish point team, of course, this year it took 100 to get in. And I don't think that's going to be the norm, but this year that's what it took. But, um, look... Yeah, you'd like to win the division. You'd like to have that home ice advantage right away. But you know, you also were an eight seed that knocked off a legendary Tampa Bay Lightning team the last time you were in, too. So it, what I'm saying is it doesn't mean you can't win the Stanley Cup if you go in as that kind of a seed. Um, the center position is still – it's being addressed. It was addressed last year with the addition of Cole Sillinger. Has it been addressed with Kent Johnson? Is Kent Johnson going to be a centerman, or is he going to be a winger? We had that debate a lot last year, especially when he came in at the end of the year. He was playing wing. I would suspect that he'll start next year playing wing. Doesn't mean that's definitely going to happen. Maybe they'll put him in the middle during training camp and see if he can handle that or see what it looks like with him in that position. I don't know. But um, that position still needs to be addressed, as we've talked about over and over. Boone Jenner as your top-line centerman is not its not ideal, and it's not going to be what will win you a Stanley Cup. It's not. Boone Jenner, if he's going to play center, it's going to be a third-line centerman on a good team. And I still think that Boone Jenner brings a lot more effectiveness on the wing when he can just bang and crash and not have to worry about all the defensive responsibility that goes along with being a center in the NHL. So... Uh, you make a good point when you're talking about Shane Wright, Logan Cooley. You know, Logan Cooley is rated uh, very highly in the league uh, or amongst teams in the league, I should say. A lot of projections have him going number three overall to the Arizona Coyotes. So, again, every team – here's the thing. Every team has their own list. 
And maybe Shane Wright isn't at the top of the Blue Jackets list. Maybe Logan Cooley isn't as high on the Blue Jackets list as he is on the Arizona Coyotes list. I don't know. I'm just saying that every team puts together its own list, and that's the order that they try to go in. I mean, let's say it got to a point where Logan Cooley was available and the Blue Jackets did something else. And if that something else was a defenseman, maybe you wouldn't even notice it. But if that something else was taking Cutter Gauthier, who has played wing with the U.S. Development Program but is going to go to Boston College and play center, and a lot of teams think that this guy can play center in the NHL, and they are looking at him as a potential center, if they were to take him, that would mean that the Blue Jackets saw him as a, a more valuable overall player. So every team has its own list, and I don't know what the teams are going to do with that list. But here's the thing. If Wright doesn't go number one overall to Montreal, I think that opens up a world of possibilities all around because the New Jersey Devils are not in the market for another centerman. They've got Nico Heeshear. They've got Jack Hughes. They, they are building their future down the middle. And New Jersey has already said that they are open to talking about trading the number two overall pick. And I'm sure that they have been talking to teams for a while about trading that number two overall pick. So if Wright doesn't go immediately, then I think you could see a lot of wild things happen, especially for teams that are looking for a center that feel that he is – the best centerman that's available and they want to make that move and try to get him instead of having to wait till their turn and see what is available when it gets to that point. So, uh, yeah, the Blue Jackets need centermen. Does it have to be a Shane Wright? Does it have to be a Logan Cooley? I'm not 100% sold on that. Again, if this is a mediocre draft, as I was talking about earlier, there are other guys that might be listed lower now that you might look back on this in three or four years and go, well, I wonder why they were so low, which happens all the time, right? All the time you see online they're redoing the draft of 2012, redoing the draft of 2014. And when you redo it, and when your hindsight is 2020, you look at it and you go, why were these teams so stupid that they didn't pick this guy when they had the opportunity? Because it's an inexact science. As I said, all teams have their different ways of looking at it. And when you go back in hindsight, some of those teams were dead on with their predictions and their projections of players, and other teams were not. And it goes for everybody. <laughs> there's There's been no team that you'd say that they are the perfect drafting team. They do it perfect every year. It just doesn't happen. Mark Carell II says, Rumors abound that the Montreal Canadiens want to trade into the top ten. Would you entertain sending them the sixth overall pick? And what do you think it would take to entice Yarmo? Uh, and then he speculates uh, maybe next uh, next two-year first-round pick, next year plus a prospect. I don't know if Montreal is going to give the first-round pick over the next two years to get up to number six. Uh, I don't know if they would give next year's first pick and a prospect either. Um, not sure. It, it's a good question, but I will tell you this. I, I ran across this on uh, Cap Friendly. On Twitter, Cap Friendly put this out uh, yesterday. 
And the tweet simply says this, every year at this time, we hear about teams who are actively looking to move up or acquire a top 10 draft pick. While it could definitely happen, it almost never does. Only nine teams have traded into the top 10 in the cap era, and only one has traded into the top five. So, Mark, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is what I just said. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's also not, I guess, not likely from that standpoint, right? Mark goes on to say, I would try to get Josh Anderson and next year's first-round pick and see what happens. You know, Josh Anderson's name has been out there about Montreal wanting to move him. And I think if if you're a person that says right away, well, there's no way Josh Anderson would come back here. He had problems with the management, and it was uh, it was kind of a, an ugly departure when he left Columbus. I couldn't see that happening. Here's something that you have to remember. The thing that got tough with Josh Anderson was the contract negotiation, Right. It was the amount of money that he wanted and what the Blue Jackets thought that he was going to be worth and how they were going to go about that whole thing. That was the hang-up. Right from the start, that was the hang-up. He gets traded to Montreal, and what did Montreal do? They gave him the contract. So what I'm saying to you is, the part that was the hurdle has already been eliminated. If Josh Anderson, I'm not saying that they're going to get him back. I'm not saying that it's an absolute done deal. He's going to come back in some kind of a a transaction here that's going to help accomplish the things that we're talking about. But what I am saying is if he were to come back, that I think that the animosity that existed earlier would be gone because he's got the contract. He's got the money. All he would have to do is come back here, rejoin the friends that he has on this team, and play a power forward role. The rest of the way, very simple, very simple. So, again, his name's out there. Kent Hughes, who's the general manager in Montreal now, has said, I don't want to trade Josh Anderson. But keep in mind, he didn't say, I will not trade Josh Anderson. He said, I don't want to trade Josh Anderson, meaning that if the situation was right and if they wanted to get that money off the books for the term that's left on his contract, that if they got the right deal, they'd do it, right? I think anybody's like that. I think everybody is like that. Um, and here's another thing. And, and this is actually a reply to uh, Mark's tweet with Mark asking me the question. Uh, this one comes from Habs Expos Eagles. It says, Anderson has been rumored to Columbus, but I doubt that Montreal trades their first-round pick next year because Bedard is a huge prize. However, Montreal does have two first picks next year, and they could offer the lower one. Okay, yes, you're, you're right about that. But this is the part that stands out to me. Um, when it's talking about Bedard being huge prize and they won't want to trade it, do you think, and I'm just asking this, I, I, I'm just speculating on this, do you think the Montreal Canadiens are going to be as bad this coming year as they were last year? Do you think that they're going to be in the lottery or do you think that they will have the opportunity to get themselves back into the playoff picture? Because don't forget, they were in the Stanley Cup final the year prior. Okay? They were in the Stanley Cup final. Shortened season, whatever. I, I don't care. That I don't even want to hear about that. They played in a weak division in the Canadian division. They got lucky, whatever. It doesn't matter. They had to beat Vegas to get to where they were, okay? 
I said all during the season last year, whoever comes out of that Canadian division will have played in the weakest division and will probably get whacked the first time they have to play somebody outside of that division. They did not get whacked. They powered through. Then they got whacked, which they got taken out by a team that had already won a Stanley Cup. There's no shame in that, if you ask me. So, do you think they're going to be that bad? Because I don't. Martin St. Louis had them playing with a, a passion and a purpose once he came in there, and I know there's no pressure by the time he came in because you know you're going to stink and you just roll with it from there on out. But he's going to start the season there. He's going to have a training camp. He's going to have that mindset instilled from the beginning. I do not think – I don't know if they'll make the playoffs, but I think they could. And Carey Price is a wild card too. Remember, they were playing without Carey Price all year. So I don't think they're going to be the horrible team that they were this year. And I don't know that those first-round picks that they have next year, I mean, you know, maybe they're maybe those are not top-10 picks or maybe those are – are not what you think they're going to be, right? Again, we'll see. you got to play the season to figure all that stuff out. Kelly says, any insight and updates on Patrick Liney's contract movement or expectations? Asking for a friend. Well, Kelly, tell your friend, no, I don't have any insight or updates on that, just like everybody else. Uh, I know that is the big question with this franchise during the offseason. I do know that uh, it's worrisome to you. It's worrisome to a lot of people. I don't know that the Blue Jackets management is on that list of people that are worried by this. I think this is just a timing thing. Patrick Line has said he wants to stay. The Blue Jackets say they want to have him. It's just a matter of finding a way to get it done for the right price and the right term, and that's what they're working on. And, you know, from the player's standpoint, the closer they work toward the arbitration date, uh, the more leverage the player has, in my opinion. So... I think it'll get done, but I, I really don't. I don't know what it's going to look like when it's all said and done. I don't know if it's. I mean, do you do an eight-year contract with Patrick Line? Do you do the max that you can do? And if you do that, do you do it so you can get a lower cap hit per season, or do you do a five-year deal? Um, and you know, at a higher amount of money. Who knows? But I think it'll get done. Jody says, love the draft, and it's always fun to see if Yarmo goes with what the analysts pick or he does his own thing. What do you think this draft brings this year, and do you think that Yarmo will pull off any surprises? I think that he's always he's always uh, a possibility to pull off a surprise. I don't know if he will or not. I know he wants to do things. I know he wants to change things. I know he wants to jumpstart this uh, restart that's going into its second year. I know that He's thrilled that they are ahead of where they thought that they would be going into this draft with the way that the team performed last year, performed better than their expectations. I think they see, you know, the as they look at it, there's no doubt that they see where the holes are that they need to have filled. They've talked about the defense and they're going to uh they're going to address that defense. No doubt about it. So um he could pull off some surprises, or if there's just nothing there, he's going to hold on to the picks that he has, and he's going to take the best available players in those positions. And even though that may be boring from the standpoint that he didn't make a huge splash, uh, I think that, you know, based on what he has done in the way that he drafts, um, 
you know, it, it might be boring in that regard, but you might look at it four years down the road and go, wow, that was, it's really more exciting now than it was then because these guys have turned out exactly like they predicted that they will. So I don't know. I'm, if he has the opportunity to make a splash, he will. He loves doing that. I love that this guy swings for the fences when he gets the opportunity. And I love how he, uh, he, I want to say tricks people. He doesn't really trick them, but he's able to keep his maneuvers so stealth and under the radar and then kind of surprise everybody with them. I, I love that. So it could happen. It, it for sure could happen. Patrick says, what kind of contract do you expect between uh, Line A and the Blue Jackets? How long do you suspect it will take to get finished? Seems like uh, big names in Columbus take close to the season beginning. Was Patrick, as I said just a few moments ago, um, I think that it will get done. And I just told you, they get closer to arbitration. The player has the leverage. It seems that he has leverage. Uh, and, you know, it could be a five-year deal. Maybe that's the best way to go. Maybe just do a five-year deal and and then reassess at that point in time and, and don't get locked in for something that you're going to have a hard time moving if you have to move it somewhere down the road. So I really, I really don't know. Uh, Pale Smith Nadragon says, how likely do you think it is that the Blue Jackets stay put and draft at number six and number 12? I think it's pretty likely that they do. I, I do. I think it is pretty likely. I, again, if Montreal takes anybody other than Wright, then maybe that changes. But I, right now, I think it's likely that they do that. Probably as soon as I get this out, Yarmo will trade one or both of those picks and make that big splash that I said that he could make and maybe wouldn't make in the whole nine yards. But anyway, as it stands right now, I think, I think they will stay there. Dave says, how is it that the Avalanche can go from 22 wins five years ago to a cup, but the Blue Jackets are never really even a playoff team after 20 years, just six playoff appearances? Well, Dave, I think, first of all, I think there's uh, – you can look at it like that, but I, I think you're looking at the small picture on that. Um, the small picture being the Colorado Avalanche had won previous Stanley Cups. Yeah, you can say five years ago they were dead last in the league, and now they have won the Stanley Cup. They also went 20 years or 21 years in between Stanley Cup victories. So if you look at it that way, they've got one Stanley Cup in that span of time. The Blue Jackets, I know, still have a zero, but they're only one behind the Colorado Avalanche in the last 20 years, right? So there's that. Plus, the Colorado Avalanche, oh, by the way, they were the Quebec Nordiques. I mean, this is a storied team in the NHL. It's They were not an expansion team. They just moved from one place to another place. It takes time. And there are teams in the league, I will remind you, Dave, that have never won a Stanley Cup. Ever. There are teams that haven't won it in 40-plus years. There are teams that have won a lot recently, but went many, 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 many years before winning. It's just, it's the hardest trophy to win. This management is looking to do what the Colorado Avalanche have done in a similar way. The Avalanche, yeah, five years ago, they were the worst in the league, but they still were starting to get the players that will, that would, and now have made up the nucleus for their Stanley Cup championship, okay? So drafting is important. Making the right trades is important. 
and the Blue Jackets are moving down that path. But you can't just say, hey, they were dead last five years ago, now they want a Stanley Cup. They, they shouldn't have been that bad five years ago. To me, when you talk about the Colorado Avalanche five years ago, it's similar to the conversation I was just talking about with the Montreal Canadiens. They were terrible this past year. But they, they were worse than they should have been. I think the Avalanche was worse than they should have been that year. And then they got some, some of the pieces. Because of that, they got pieces. And they had some pieces. And then they put it all together. But they went 21 years in between Stanley Cup championships. So, you know, you know what I'm saying. Troy is the worst, says, who do you think the Blue Jackets take with the 12th overall? Is there someone that you hope is available at number 12? Personally, and I, I only know what I read, but I hope the, uh, the geeky kid is available when it comes to number 12. Centerman, he's a big guy. Uh, he's got, uh, from what they say, from uh, what happened at the draft, or not the draft, but the uh, combine, that he has uh, a great personality. So you know, he's a guy that it seems like he's got upside. He's a centerman. He's big. And he'd bring a lot of personality. So that's the guy that, if he's there... I guess I hope they take him. Connor Geeky, his brother Morgan played for the Colorado or for the uh, Colorado for the Carolina Hurricanes and then he went to uh, the Seattle Kraken in the expansion draft. So that's my answer to you, Troy. Is uh if he's there at number 12 and he may or may not be uh Connor Geeky. I'd be okay if they took him. All right, let's move along and see what's next. Well, I told you that we would get to the um, Matthew Olivier trade yesterday. The Blue Jackets sent a fourth-round pick to the Nashville Predators in exchange for Olivier, a guy that has played not very many NHL games, to be honest with you. He's, uh, you know, he's played most of his time in the American Hockey League, and he's uh, had a little bit of time with, the, uh, the Nashville Predators, but he's a big guy. He's got a lot of penalty minutes, and that's why the Blue Jackets got him. They got him for size. They got him for toughness. So here's Gear Bros, who says, how does the new tough guy, Olivier, affect the bottom of the roster? For example, somebody on the Cleveland shuttle, somebody off the roster. There's always competition and injuries, but interested to see Marchenko, Johnson and now Olivier squeeze out some veterans ice time. Veterans like Eric Robinson and Justin Danforth, etc. All right. Well, again, let me let me just break this down for you. And, you know, Yarmo said that he does give them that size and that toughness element that they have been looking for. Does that mean he's going to play every day? I don't think so. Does that mean that he's going to play every game in the NHL and none in the American Hockey League? I don't think so. Um, I think he'll have the opportunity to come in and have a strong camp and be on this roster and stay for the year. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't happen. Again, with Nashville, he spent uh, three seasons in the Nashville organization. And in that time, he played 48 games in the NHL with three goals and four assists, but 88 penalty minutes. 
Okay. So is he going to squeeze out an Eric Robinson? Sometimes, I guess he could. Is he going to squeeze out a Justin Danforth? See, to me, Justin Danforth provides a lot. I think there are intangibles with Justin Danforth. And this isn't a knock on Eric Robinson. I, I know Eric Robinson had a lot of goals last year. and He is uh, – Eric Robinson's extremely fast. I think there's still an upside to Eric that he hasn't reached yet. I, I, I wonder sometimes if he realizes how good – he can be because he's there. There's still, I think there's still a level there that he hasn't reached and maybe he will reach it. Maybe he never will. I don't know. Good guy. Great to have around knows his role, plays a simple game, all those things. That's great. But Justin Danforth is just scrappy and he's just continuously on you. And, you know, he brings that, Passion, look, he's he's older guys, 28 years old. He made his NHL debut at 28 years old. But, like, when, you, when you're talking about those two guys in particular, what kind of a fourth-line makeup do you want? You probably want the scrappiness and uh, that pain-in-the-neck attitude. And, oh, by the way, some guys are, that can score goals, too. Robinson has speed, and he's scored goals. Does he have that? pain-in-the-neck attitude, uh, not not as much as Justin Danforth does. And if Olivier comes in and he has that, and, he, and if he can skate on that line, and if he can provide that toughness, then, you know, I, I think, uh, to me, on my list, as we sit here right now, and everything changes, but if I was Eric Robinson, I'd be more worried than if I was Justin Danforth when it comes to that losing time on that line. Again, that's just me, and that's just looking at it from forty thousand feet. But you know, when you look at the when you look at the the personalities and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to assemble, I I think that's a fair look at it. Um, I was going to say something else about that. And, oh, here's what it was. So remember, I told you near the end of the season that I had talked to a player about the need to get tougher, the need to have some more size need to have somebody that was just a threat of protecting some of the young players on this roster, not necessarily a, a fighter to fight three times a game because the game has changed, but you know, that kind of a role. And it would appear that Olivier fills that kind of a role. But in my conversation I had with a player near the end of the season, said player when speaking to me indicated that, they would like to have two of those guys. And remember, we had this conversation on a previous show near the end of the year. I said maybe if they can get one as a forward and one as a defenseman, that would work out. Okay, so here's the forward. And again, he may not play 82 games, may not play 40 games. I don't know. But even if he's a guy that you have in the American Hockey League and you're going to play the Capitals and you want somebody to be a factor against Tom Wilson, just, just to be there to balance things out, you can call him up and you can have him there. Okay, so maybe this fills one of those. Well, not maybe it does fill one of those roles. And then maybe as you look at the defense, you know, Nikita Zadorov is a guy that has been talked about. Big body guy really levels a hit. Not so much of a fighter, but again, you're not <laughs> you're not really looking for uh, fighters. You're looking for guys who are going to play physical. And if if you're going to pop my guy, you bet when I have a chance to line you up and drop the boom on you, I'm going to. 
Josh Manson, those kind of guys in free agency. You know what I mean? So, so maybe in their minds, okay, if we need two of the, these guys, here's one, and now the other one we can look for on the blue line. Again, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I think this makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, Baji Kimran says, does the Olivier trade open the door for a bigger trade? Because we now have 16 wingers vying for eight spots. Texier had trouble staying healthy. Gus is in the final year of his deal. What if they can't sign line A? Something big is about to go down. Possibly. Yeah, and you're right about that competition. They do have too many wingers. And that's why, you know, there's a lot of speculation about them uh, helping out the defense by trading some of those forwards that they have a surplus of right now. There's going to be competition. There's no question about it. Gus Nyquist, is that a guy that you look to get rid of right now? He had a, a great year last year. He wants to be a part of this long term. You've got to make a decision. Is he going to be a part of this long term? Or is he going to be a trade chip when it comes to, um, you know, the trade deadline next season? Or is he going to be a guy, maybe you're in a playoff spot, and he's a guy that you cannot afford to give up because he's done so much to help you to be in that playoff spot. I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things out there. Here's one that I'm going to say this, and this is something that I hope doesn't happen, but I do think about this when you're talking about big moves and big trades and, and big guys. If I were to say to you, is Oliver Bjorkstrand a long-term guy here? Would your eyes pop out of your head and say, how could you even say that? And, and I'll tell you how I could say that. I, First of all, I love this guy. I think he's perfect here. I think, um, you know, I, I think he's a guy that still has upside in him. He's a guy that still he, he scored a lot of goals in his NHL career, but I, I think he still has uh, a lot that he can do. And I think this year was uh, a great example of that because he was he started off red hot, and then he. Then he cooled off, and, you know, then he got good again. Listen, he had a career high this year. He had 28 goals. Um, the previous high was 23 in the 2018-2019 season. But when you're talking about making big moves, usually if you're if you're going to make big moves, then to get big, sometimes you have to give big. And I, I just wonder. I'm not saying – I'm not telling you I've heard anything. I'm not telling you – that uh, there have been any indications of anything. I, I'm just saying, when, when you think about it, when you think about it, um, Oliver Bjorkstrand, he's very, you know, again, he would be a guy that teams would covet. There's no question about that. Um, you know, my thing with him is, uh, is, is he, um, you know, in those down times that he has, it, it seems like he, he can go from being so high to being so low and then get stuck there for a while. And John Tortorella, or John Tortorella used to ride him so hard. And this year when he started off at the beginning of the year, I thought, boy, he's finally out from under that and he's just going to flourish and take off. And, and again, he had 57 points on the year. He had 28 goals. But there was also a time where I thought, man, I wonder if he misses Torts riding him right now. I wonder if that would help him to get out of this funk right now. So again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm spitballing stuff that uh, probably never happens, but you know, it's one of those things, just like these, just like these pundits do, 
it's one of those things that if it ever does happen, I can always go back and say, hey, remember I told you that this could happen. <laughs> I told you. Just like Torts. I told you at the end of the year that I texted him April 25th, and I said, I can't wait to see you the four times that we play against the Flyers next year. And lo and behold, he's the head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers, just like I told you. So there you go. There you go. That's where I stand on this. Thanks for all those questions off Twitter. I got a voice question that I'm going to go to right now as we get near the end of the show. Bobby Mack, this is Paul in Columbus. Welcome back. Hope the summer's treating you well. Uh, I'm guessing you're going to get enough draft questions uh, for this, but I had a, wanted to go in a little bit of a different direction, and I'm curious. Um, obviously, Colorado Avalanche, Stanley Cup champions, went from last in the league to champions in five years, and it got me thinking, if everything goes great for the Jackets and the prospects turn into solid core pieces and potential stars and you know, everything goes great. All of this is obviously hypothetical because who the heck knows what's going to happen. But realistically, how far, how many years away do you believe the Jackets are away from potentially competing for a Stanley Cup? Tokyo Avalanche, five years. We're not exactly the bottom of the basement, so maybe same? I don't know. But wanted to get your thoughts on that. And then I was also curious, was uh, – since you were around, you've been around the team for a, a while now, did the Jackets ever consider Jared Bednard for the uh, head coaching position before they took on Torts, or was Torts already in place? Just curious, because uh, guys obviously knows what he's doing. He's a heck of a coach. I just wonder if the Jackets ever considered him for the position. Anyways, hope all's well. Hope the summer goes well. Uh, good for you, and we'll talk soon. Well, thank you very much, Paul. Uh, the first part, or your first question, I should say, I pretty much answered that earlier. Yeah, you would love to be able to say within the next five years you're going to win a Stanley Cup. And you can say it and you can hope it, but you can't guarantee anything. So that would be that would be the time frame that you're hoping for. And again, every team, every team in this league is saying, boy, within the next five years, it'd be great if we win a Stanley Cup. And it's... Um, just such a hard thing to do, but hopefully the Blue Jackets are starting on the path to to be in that kind of a time frame. We'll see. I mean, you know, the the Avalanche, let's not forget, Nathan McKinnon is a heck of a player. And I know going into that final game, there was a lot of talk about him needing to step up and him needing to be a big part of it if they wanted to finally knock off the Lightning, and he did in that final game. He's, a, he's one of those, remember, he was supposed to be the next Sidney Crosby. And then Connor McDavid was supposed to be the next Sidney Crosby, right? So is there a player in this draft that they're saying he's going to be the next Sidney Crosby or he's going to be the next Nathan McKinnon or he's going to be the next Connor McDavid? The answer is no. The answer is no. So those are those are generational players. And I can see where McKinnon, if you put those three together, you know, McKinnon is probably third on your list. But he should move up on your list watching what he did in the playoffs overall, okay? So where do you get one of those players? You need one of those players for sure to get it done. Do you get those in the draft? Normally you do, which normally means you have to pick really high. Remember when Nathan McKinnon was being drafted 
And there was a lot of speculation that Seth Jones might go first overall, sorry, to Colorado, because they needed defense. And Seth fell in love with the game of hockey when his dad was playing in the NBA in Denver. And the Avalanche came out and they just said, no, no, we're taking Nathan McKinnon. We're taking the forward. And that was the right move. And that's not any reflection on Seth Jones. You take that guy. When the guy that is billed as being the next Sidney Crosby is there, that's the guy you take. And they did, and it pays off finally this summer with that Stanley Cup championship. So hopefully the Blue Jackets can get it done in the next five years. But, again, there's there are teams that have never won the thing, and they've been around a long, long time. As far as your second question, I'm glad you brought this up because when I was congratulating members of the Colorado Avalanche at the beginning of the show – I forgot to talk about Jared Bednar, which is terrible on my part. The thing is, the three guys that I mentioned, I was around a lot more than I was Jared Bednar because he was in Springfield and then in Cleveland in the American Hockey League, and I was here. But that doesn't make it right. I should have brought him up because he is a heck of a coach. He is the only coach, the only coach that has won a Kelly Cup championship in the ECHL, East Coast Hockey League, He's won the Calder Cup in the American Hockey League, and now he has won the Stanley Cup in the NHL. Only guy. He's a great guy, too. An absolutely great guy. He um, he deserves that championship for the work that he has put in, not just with the Avalanche, but through his entire career. He's a born winner, that guy. He just really is. He's an absolute born winner. But your question is, did the Blue Jackets consider him before they hired John Tortorella? And here is my answer. I don't know. I would think that they had to have him as part of their discussions because of what he was doing in the AHL with the prospects. But I will also tell you this. You remember the whole situation there. The Blue Jackets got off to the 0-7 start, and I believe – they went into Chicago 0-6 that year. And I remember this. I'm going to tell you this story because I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, we go in there. Todd Richards is the head coach. You're 0-6. It's a team that they expected would have a chance to make the playoffs. They felt like they were building and and it was ready to move to another level. But then they, they start 0-6 and it's not going well at all. And unfortunately, that was something that that was not uh, out of the norm, and that is a slow start under Todd Richards. All of his teams started off slowly, and then they picked up steam, and they got going. But when you're a team that you think you're going to make the playoffs, those wins early in the season are just as important as the ones late in the season. I mean, you're, you're blowing 12 points immediately. Like, even if you get half of those, you're in way better shape down the road. But now you're 0-6. So we go into Chicago, and I go to my booth in Chicago, and, and John Wideman, who is doing radio, uh, radio play-by-play for the Blackhawks, comes in, and, and we're talking. We're going over the lineups for that night, and he says to me, he says, boy, uh, do you think Todd's in trouble? And I said, well, yeah, he would have to be in trouble. There's been continuous slow starts, and, and now you have this team, and you haven't won a game yet, and – Unfortunately, yeah. And he said to me, he goes, who do you think is going to be the next coach? 
And without hesitation, I looked at him and I said, John Tortorella. And he said, no way. They're not going to get Tortorella. I mean, look what just happened to him in Vancouver. It was a disaster. Now, remember, John Tortorella, after leaving the New York Rangers, went to the Vancouver Canucks. It lasted one season. There was a lot of turmoil there. And he was out. So he was a guy that was looking for a job. And not only was he looking for a job, he was looking for redemption. He was looking for another chance. He was looking for an opportunity to show what happened in Vancouver was a blip on the radar screen. It's not who he is as a coach and that he still has it. So, you know, I said all these things. And I also said to him, I go, John, listen, you know how this works. I mean, you get a coach. It's a nice guy. He's a player's coach. And when that stops working, then you got to go find an a-hole. You got to get the guy that is not going to be their buddy and is going to motivate them in different ways. I said, you know how it works. I mean, you know, I mean, um, Ken Hitchcock was that kind of a coach. You know, not everybody liked him. They appreciate him after he's gone more than they do day to day when he's there. Right. He was a demanding coach and he ran it one way. And then when that is done, then you bring in a nice guy. And then when the nice guy's done, you go back to the, the tough guy. So, you know, I said all of this to him and and he goes, no, there's no way they're not bringing in John Tortorella. And I said, well, listen, besides all of that, he and John Davidson have a good relationship from their time with the Rangers. No, 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 no. He, he swore to me that there's no way that was going to happen. We all know how the story unfolded, and the next time we played Chicago, I went to his booth to make sure that he knew that what I told him was right a long time ago. So anyway, here's my point. I would think that they considered Jared Bednar. I don't know. I haven't asked about this to anybody. I haven't asked J.D. I haven't asked Yarmo about this. I'm just saying when you look at the situation, what they needed with the team that they had, they had a team they thought was ready to go to another level. And when you have that kind of a team, you normally don't bring in a young coach that doesn't have NHL experience. As good of a coach as he may be, as good of a guy as he may be, as good of a job as he's done with prospects as he may have done, you are looking for somebody to push them to the next level. You're looking for experience. John Tortorella brought all of that. He brought a Stanley Cup championship with him. He brought uh, great New York Rangers teams experience with him and that's what they felt they needed plus they could get him at a discounted rate because Vancouver was still paying him for a couple of years Uh, there were a lot of good things about it he needed an opportunity to show that he could still coach in this league they needed somebody to take the team to the next level Um, the pay was going to be there and you didn't have to carry the whole freight I think I It was a perfect match. I was going to say, I think it was a perfect match. It was a perfect match. Look at the history of it and and where the franchise went after that. It was a perfect match. So Jared Bednar was just not, his timing was not right to be with the Blue Jackets. That's unfortunate. It really is because of all the things I stated earlier about how good of a coach and how good of a person he is. It's unfortunate, but he did get that opportunity to go to Colorado. And when you talk about how terrible they were five years ago, He was a worried guy. He thought, oh, my goodness, I get my chance to go to the NHL. I'm going to last one year. And good on Joe Sackick for sticking with him and bringing him back and letting the team get better and letting him coach that team. 
because there are some general managers that could have used that as an excuse. Rookie head coach, terrible record. We've got to make a change here. We, we can't go into next year doing this. We just we look bad. And Joe didn't do that. He didn't do that. He let him, he let him work it out, got him better players, and look where it took them, to the top of the mountain. Literally and figuratively, it took them to the top of the mountain. All right, I've got one more. One more off Twitter. And by the way, you can always send me a question or whatever you want to on Twitter, at Bobby Mac Sports. You can always email me your questions, bobbymack at bluejackets.com. Yesterday was my birthday. Thanks to all of you that uh, sent birthday wishes. I do appreciate it. But I've got Justin Needham who says, what is the best birthday gift you've gotten? Now, for some people, they would have to sit and think about this long and hard. For other people, they would have it jump right to the front of their mind and maybe it would be a, an animate object. But I'll, I can tell you, for me, this is easy. And I can tell you when it was. It was my birthday in 2009. I was on the road with the AAA baseball team in Syracuse. We were in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, playing against the Red Sox. I had my car on the trip. It was the afternoon. I was out driving around, killing time. I didn't want to stay in the beautiful confines of the Comfort Inn that had the ground round attached to it because we were already a couple of days into this trip. So getting out of the hotel was key. So I was driving around, and I got a call, and I immediately found a parking lot to pull into and park the car because I could see where the call was coming from. I saw it had a 614 area code. I had already talked to the Blue Jackets a couple of times about an opportunity in Columbus, and I was getting this call, and I got the job offer on that day, on my birthday. Now, I will tell you something else. I remember when I first got into pro sports and I got into minor league baseball back in the mid-90s. And I remember and I got that first job and I told my dad, I said, uh, I'm going to mark it. I'll give it until I'm 40 years old. If I don't get out of the minors by that point in time, then I'll have to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. But I'll give it. Till I'm 40 years old. At the time, I was, what, 24? Something like that. And uh, my dad had passed away before I got the opportunity to come here. But when I got that call on that day in 2009, <laughs> it was literally on my 40th birthday when I got my opportunity to come to the big leagues. Coincidence? In this, in this case, I don't know if there's such a thing as coincidence. But it is ironic. But Justin, that is the best birthday gift that I have ever gotten. And because I got that gift, I'm talking to you today. There you have it. We're going to Montreal. Next week, first round of the draft is Thursday night from the Bell Center. We will have live coverage 
97.1 The Fan is where you'll be able to find me, Jody Shelley, Dylan Tyre, John Luc Grandpierre is going up there with us. He's going to do the entire broadcast in French while we do it in English. We'll do it on two separate channels, a French channel. No, we're not. I'm kidding about that. John Luc is going to do a lot of stuff in French for our social channels and bluejackets.com, which will be different and fun. Um, he and I are going to go around Montreal. He's going to take me around to some of the sites in Montreal, some places that uh, maybe I haven't been because I didn't realize that I should have gone and checked them out. So we're going to do that. You can uh, look for that, again, on the Blue Jacket social channels and at bluejackets.com once we get there next week. I will be doing uh, CBJ and 30. How are we going to do this? Uh, Dylan Tyre and Jeff Sabota will be doing their skate spaces from Montreal next week on Wednesday. Uh, day two of the draft, which is going to be a week from today, day two when they do rounds two through seven, it's not like round one. Round one takes hours to get through. Two through seven is lightning round. They just boom, 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 boom. They'll go through it. But um, we'll do a CBJ and 30 live on Twitter Spaces next Friday. And you can chime in. We can talk about uh, what the Blue Jackets did the night before, what they're doing that day. Maybe we'll be able to talk about some trades that were made and all that stuff. So uh, we'll see how all of that goes. Um so looking forward to all of that. Again, bluejackets.com, the Blue Jacket social channels will be there. We'll be bringing you the updates from Montreal. Uh, it's going to be great. It, it, it's great. I love that the playoffs are over now because now you're back in it, right? You're sitting on the sidelines watching everybody else play for months, and now everybody's back to 0-0, and you're ready to go to the draft, and then development camp the week after, and free agency and the whole nine yards, so this is uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Let me see. Do I have another bit of breaking news for you here before I close out? I'm looking at Twitter. Chris Johnson, uh, Chris Johnston of uh, TSN is reporting here. I think he's reporting. I'm going to check this. Yeah, Darren Drager is actually saying that Chris Johnston has uh, retweeted it. Uh, Nick Paul and the Tampa Bay Lightning are closing in on a multi-year agreement. Actually, Dreger tweeted that a while ago, but Chris Johnson just a couple of minutes ago says you can scratch Nick Paul's name off uh, off his free agency board. So apparently that one's done. So there you go. That's the breaking news that I have for you. Nope, one more piece of breaking news. Kevin Weeks has tweeted out that the Bruins have named Jim Montgomery as their new head coach. So there you go. That's all I got for you. That's what more can I do? I've given you all that I have for right now. I will talk to you this week from Montreal at the draft again, Thursday night, seven o'clock from seven to nine. You can hear our coverage from Montreal on 97.1. The fan as the blue jackets make pick number six overall and pick number 12 overall. It is going to be a great time. Can't wait. Can't wait for more of your questions as the week goes on and we'll get to them all and we're back we are back thanks for listening cbj and 30 i'm bob mckelligan saying so long